Welcome to Candler in Conversation, the platform for engaging in conversations about faith, theology, and public life hosted by the Candler Foundry. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of our guests and not necessarily of Candler School of Theology. On this episode, meet Doug Shipman, one of our speakers for the February 2021 TheoEd Talks event. Doug Shipman is the founding CEO of the National Center for Civil and Human Rights, a museum and cultural institution in Atlanta, Georgia, which draws connections between the U.S. civil rights movement and today's human rights struggles. Shipman recently ended his tenure as the president and CEO of the Woodruff Art Center, a position he used to support local arts, He holds degrees from the Harvard Kennedy School, the Harvard Divinity School, and Emory University. Today, Shipman is invested in supporting Atlanta's art community and promoting racial justice in the arts. Doug, thank you so, so much for joining us today. We know you have a pretty busy schedule, and so we really appreciate your time in talking with us on Candler and Conversation. We are also really excited for your TheoEd talk coming up soon. So Doug, your talk's title is, Is Reconciliation Right for America? Could you share a little bit more about it and possibly what your thesis statement may be? Sure, well, I I too am excited to be here and I'm excited for this talk. Um, Obviously, there is a lot of division in the country right now on many different fronts. Uh, Politically, there is division. Um, Racially, obviously, there's a lot of conversation and and division. Uh, And I think just also in the notion of of whether or not we should try to reconcile, there is a lot of question. And so I think the thesis of the talk is that, that, in fact, there is a way forward for reconciliation and that religious thought can be quite a contributor to finding that path forward. But in this particular period, as opposed to other times in which we've, we've thought about reconciliation as a society, uh, I would argue the Civil War, the modern civil rights movement, in both of those cases, the religious aspect was predominantly Christian. Um, even though it was somewhat interreligious, it was predominantly Christian and predominantly Protestant. And I think now as we look at the country, it must be interreligious. And so how do we uh, find religious platforms and, and, and uh, perspectives to draw from, I think is an important piece. And I think the other thesis is that there are American ideals from history and maybe even American conflicts from history that can guide us in a notion of what an American reconciliation going forward can look like. And so we've been having a lot of conversations about reconciliation. How would you say that your talk is different from those that are already ongoing? Well, I think we're in a new context. Many have called, and I would agree, uh, around a framework of a third reconstruction of the country. And I think that that has been put into even starker relief with the events of January 6th, where we have a, a physical insurrection into the Capitol by uh, particular ideologies that came together in the, in the who was there and stoked by a sitting president. Uh, I think that makes the context quite different than what we've called for before. Um, and I think it also really brings in the question of what does an American reconciliation look like? Of course, we've, we've 
heard some of this before and I'll touch on it as well in my talk. Truth and Reconciliation Commissions um, in the United States have been tried in local areas, especially around um, lynchings, uh, around uh, questions of reparations. There have been uh, committees and councils put together. But I think this notion of, of a literal insurrection in the Capitol fomented by the sitting president really draws in a much different level of what does reconciliation mean in this point. And I think we also have to take into account that the demographics of the country are changing and they are changing in a way that we've never seen before with a move away from a, a white majority. Um, I think that that is a, a seminal moment in the history of the country. And so when we talk about reconciliation, we cannot do it without understanding that literally what the country looks like, feels like, um, is changing as we uh, as we go forward, and it will never go back. I don't think we'll ever have an, an America in which we will have a white majority again. And so the notion of reconciliation has to take that racial aspect into account. Right. And so as the founding CEO of the National Center for Human and Civil Rights, we know that you not only talk the talk, but you also walk the walk. What inspires you to do this type of work? Well, I think that I've long been inspired by, um, by thinkers who have brought religion into social movements. Even going back to, I took a course when I was an undergraduate uh, at Candler with Dr. Robert Franklin, and he taught a course on Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. and their theologies and how they brought their theologies of Islam in Malcolm's case and Christianity in King's case into their social movement and social justice um, philosophies. And so I've long been inspired by that intersection and people who have been willing to do that. Um, I think for me, it is also finding a place as a, as a white uh, straight man, trying to find a place of both contribution and support um, and how to, to navigate in a way that is an ally, sometimes leading, sometimes following, sometimes in conversation, sometimes talking to my fellow white folks about issues of race. Um, but I am also inspired by people who have done that work um, as well. And so, um, especially for this talk, um, I have returned to specifically um, two uh, elements of Dr. King's philosophy. One is his Nobel Peace Prize speech in early 1965 which he is talking about his faith in America in spite of the current evidence, which I think is very timely in the moment we are now. And then of course, um, his final book, um, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community? And I think that is the fundamental question we face. Um, are we going to build community or are we going to allow chaos to continue? Um, and so I continue to find inspiration from King. And speaking of chaos and community, because that definitely knows what's happening right now, um, what would you say is stopping us from community? Why do people continue to choose chaos? Well, I think there are a few reasons, but I think many of them lead back to a sense of uh, identity and a feeling of, um, of control in maintaining that identity. I think that a lot of individual people basically feel as if the country is moving away from a place that they can maintain themselves, whatever that may mean. That may be their religious self, that may be their, their communal self, that may be their racial self. 
but it is a fear that good going into community will lead to some sort of loss on an individual level. Um, and I think that that is a fundamental fear that many, many people are grappling with. Um, and I think that that is exacerbated by the fact that Bob Putnam uh, at Harvard and others have talked about the fact that our civic associations, our neighborhood associations, our religious institutions simply see less participation and less um, attendance than they have in the past. And so the feeling of isolation feels greater because we're not going on, you know, Fridays to the the, the club and, uh, you know, the, the Elks meeting, and we're not going on Saturdays to our synagogue as much, and we're not going on Sundays to our neighborhood association meeting. And so we, we sort of are more locked in our own thoughts. And with social media, we can be locked in our own political information kind of bubble, as opposed to when you sit in a in a town meeting or you sit in a neighborhood association, you're gonna sit with people who, you know, hopefully are not like you and don't think like you and gonna challenge you. And I think we see less and less of that participation. And so it is the feeling of isolation combined with the reality of isolation. And obviously COVID is the great isolator in, in the very near term, but it, it, we, I think we've been facing this for a number of years. Um, that fear means that we isolate and then from a communal standpoint that's leading to chaos as opposed to building community. And so for my last question, I just wanna know what gives you hope? Well, there are a few things that give me hope. One is that we are talking about race and racism out in the open, which I think is a, is a painful but an extremely positive step. Um, an issue like racism in the country um, has long uh, fed off of being in the shadows. And when it has come into the light and when we have grappled with it, it has been painful, the Civil War, um, the Civil Rights Movement, but ultimately it has been progress because we are grappling with this great original sin as many have called it uh, in America. And so one, the issues of race being talked about by everyone, including white folks, uh, is a good thing. Um, I think the other thing that gives me hope is that um, for most of our history, we've only had half the population being allowed to be in leadership, men. And the rise of women's leadership uh, means that one, we've got twice as many good people to, to be in leadership, but two, I think it also brings creativity and it, it also brings different perspectives, not necessarily gender-based, but simply new because we, we have, that is a new construct to have um, for instance, you know, Vice President Harris, I think, has an all-female communications team. I don't know what it will mean, but it's different, and it, and it should lead to, to interesting and new perspectives. And so I find that to be very hopeful um, in ways that I think that, you know, some people are writing about, but frankly, we won't know what they mean uh, until, you know, a generation passes. But I think that they will only be positive. Those two things give me a lot of hope. And then finally, you know, in a time like we have had, to see people reinvesting in the notion of America, either because they are participating in the democratic process or they are continuing to, to sign up for um, the Peace Corps or they're continuing to sign up for, for other ways to contribute. I think that gives me a lot of hope. This could be a moment in which you could see vast swaths of the country withdraw. And I actually think that we're potentially on the precipice of on a very local level, I think it'll take a local level building to a broader level, but on a local level, people getting out and building community gardens and 
um, helping their neighbors and rebuilding those smaller associations. If we start to see that happen, that, that certainly will give me a lot of hope. Well, amen to that. Thank you, Doug, so, so much again for joining us. And um, where can people find you on the internet? Sure. Um, I'm uh, fairly active on Twitter, uh, D-O-U-G-S-H-I-P, Instagram, same, same handle, um, D-O-U-G-S-H-I-P. Uh, and uh, those are usually the, the two easiest ways to find me and the things that I'm thinking about. Perfect. I'll add that to the show description. Theoed is a faith-based speaker series that brings together leading thinkers in the church and the academy to give the talk of their lives in 20 minutes or less. This year's event will be live streamed on Sunday, February 21st, beginning at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Visit theoed.com to learn more and register. And thanks for listening to this week's episode of Candler and Conversation. Be sure to like and subscribe to be updated when we release new episodes. 